Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm delighted today. I'm here with Rebecca Ward. She's a therapist, a speaker, and the author of The Paper Tiger Syndrome, How to Liberate Yourself from the Illusion of Fear. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. Good to be here. Yeah. And I should say, for those of you listening to this right now, the book should have just been released. Um, so, yeah. Go out uh, and, and check the book out uh, if what you hear in this uh, episode uh, resonates with you. Uh, I hope it will. Um, it certainly did for me. I was uh, lucky enough to get a, a pre-read of the book. Uh, and so it's been great to dive in um, to your perspectives on, uh, I guess, the human condition in general, how yeah. we deal with uh, our childhoods and um and healing and, you know, all of the topics that are very uh, popular on, on this show. Um, so I guess where, where, where should we start? Like what's the, what's the genesis for the book? Um, where did this, this idea come about? Well, you know, I, uh, and in, in the first chapter of the book, I talk about my own, my own trauma, how, how I arrived at the place where people in my life began to say, you got to write your own book. You got to write about this. People need to hear this story and how you've overcome your own trauma and uh, moved from out of, out of everything I've been through into a far more resilience in my life. Now I'm, I'm a trauma therapist and I uh, was trained in several modalities, but in, uh, including somatic experiencing, which I think is a very powerful trauma modality that I use with all of my clients. And, um, and I thought, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write this book and uh, bring as much as I can to the, and make it as accessible as I can to people. I think a lot of the, the folks out there don't really know how their bodies work, how our nervous systems function, and they're unconsciously driven by this concept of fear, that this underlying fear that really drives almost all of our unconscious behaviors. And uh, I want to give them awareness and education about how the nervous system functions, how it can work for and against us, and uh, how to shift that. I, I provide very practical tools in the book so that people can not only understand their anatomy, be inspired by my story and some of the stories I share about my clients, uh, and, and actually apply the practical application of the tools that I, I teach my clients for themselves. Right. Yeah. And um, mm. yeah. And you open, yeah. I mean, you open the book with a, with a punch and that story that you, you alluded to, which I was yeah. very moved by. Um, would you be willing to, to share yeah, a bit of that story? I mean. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think everybody has gone through some form of suffering. I have had some particularly uh, life-changing moments in, uh, and one in particular was really a turning point for my life, uh, which was the, the loss of my, my children. So I, I went through a number of losses un, un, unexpectedly. Uh, and one of them was, uh, being pregnant in my third trimester. And I, I gave birth to my two boys and they survived several hours, um, but, but then uh, they were just too premature. It was the third trimester, but it was relatively early on in the, 
the third trimester and they they passed. Uh, and I tell that story. I tell the story of the loss of my father unexpectedly when I was 20. Um, and then, you know, talk about some of my own, uh, you know, sort of the manifestation of all of that grief um, turning in on my body and causing uh, several forms of cancer uh, to, to, uh, to manifest. Um, and, it, and why that happens? Why does that happen? That what, when we don't process grief, the body will take grief and anger and emotions that have been unprocessed and they will, it will turn in on you and cause disease. Uh, there's a very clear connection between stress and grief and fear, like unprocessed energy in the body. If it's stored and stuck, it can cause, it can wreak havoc on our well-being, on our health. And so I've moved through all of that, all of that trauma and come out the other side. And uh, I'm, I've never been healthier, never been happier. And so it's, it's not just about moving through your trauma and your grief and your fears, but because you have to move through all that to get to the other side. You can't bypass that step. You have to move through that. And if you have the courage to do that and you have the right support system around you, not only can you move through it, but you can get to a place that you could never have possibly imagined for yourself. It, I, have, I have no regrets about anything I've been through because it's made me who I am today. And that transformation from all of that has made me stronger, more courageous, more resilient, and able to help other people move through theirs. And um, so I, uh, I, I don't have any regrets about any of that. Right. Yeah. Wow. And then, I mean, there's a, there's a ton in, in there that you've just shared. I, I guess what, yeah. what, what I'm interested in, in your story is, so you lost your father at 20. So I, that, mm -hmm. that was a significant experience. And mm -hmm. when did you first start to get, I suppose, interested in what's go, going on inside and, and how you yeah. might process some of these events? Yeah, it was, I mean, I was always curious about it, but my, okay. but I really had a major wake up call when I lost my boys in my thirties. That was when really things started to turn actually for the better, because I started to realize I was living a life that wasn't truly mine, if that makes sense. It, it didn't mm. really, it was clear to me that I was afraid that at that moment, I, I had been living in fear for most of my life um, and wrestling with a lot of developmental trauma and fears about wanting to please others and wanting to to live a life that fits in other people's construct and right. uh and that in that moment when i lost them it was they have really been the guiding light for the for the rest of my life that moment when i realized there's nothing i can't tackle if i can move through this i can move through just about anything in life and it gave me the resilience i needed to move through all of my uh cancer struggles that that ensued after the loss of my kids right and and when you say move through it what yeah what what was what were the processes that you started to explore or the mm -hmm. like what it, when you started to bring some intentionality to this like what what was it that you were first uh trying out 
Well, I tried everything, Richard. I really did. I mean, I I have tried everything from Eastern, Western, you know, philosophies about how to heal yourself. I, I've, I've been to just about every type of, and tried every type of healing modality. So everything from acupuncture to energy healers to, um, to traditional medicine. And I think, and all of them have helped me. Um, it was, it really, at, at that moment when I lost my kids, I started to study the, the field of somatics. Okay. Uh, I wasn't a therapist yet. I was still just a lay person in a, a previous career that I had. And, uh, but I had always wanted to pursue this line of work. And again, as I said, that was the wake up call. I realized I'm, I'm in the wrong line of work. I'm living a very traditional life and I don't want to live a traditional life. I want to be uh, helping people like I am today. And so that all shifted and I, I started to try all sorts of things to heal myself from cancer. One of the things that was really important to me, and I don't impose my belief systems on other people, but I do think we, we as human beings, first of all, we need each other. So you have to have a support system, even if it's just one person, everybody needs someone in their life to be there for them in times of crisis. And times of crisis is when you learn who the people in your life are, are true to you and who aren't, right? Mm. And, and I think that's very important to have a support system. I also think that you have to have something bigger than just a person to hold big trauma. You know, that, that's a lot to ask of your support system to do all of that for you. And so for me, it was having some sort of uh, connection to something infinite, something that had infinite capacity. Now, infinite capacity can be anything. It can be the universe. I'm all about science. Uh, it can be the earth. It can be gravity. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be a religious or spiritual practice. For me, it was. It was a spiritual practice, not religious, but I do consider myself a secular mystic, um, which means simply I'm connected to a higher source of energy in the world. And that's just a personal private relationship that I have. And I'm, I'm in constant relationship with that every day. Uh, and it, it really does help me tremendously. Right. And so, and, and which of these came, came first? Was it, you started to explore the somatics and then this connection with the, the universal power right. came later? Yeah, universal power, power has always been part of okay, me That's since I was a child. Yeah, I knew there was something out there besides just what we see here. And so I've always had like a, a sort of a sixth sense about the, the universe and how things operate that we don't see. Um, but that that other piece about somatics came uh, right about the time that I, I, I lost my kids before mm -hmm. I had cancer. And, and, and it was really just intuitively, I somehow knew that there, it, it, isn't, it doesn't all start here, that it, right. it really is, there is a connection between the mind and the body that we don't fully see. And it was just an intu intuition that told me there's something more than just helping people change their mindsets. It's about working with the nervous system. And that's ultimately what the book is about is, you know, how to understand the way your nervous system functions. How, does, how is it wired both with real and perceived threat? And, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's the paper tiger, the title of the book, The Paper Tiger Syndrome, a paper tiger 
is the illusion of fear. It's something that presents itself as a threat, but in fact is harmless, powerless, innocuous. And the nervous system isn't wired for modern day times. Human beings have evolved at a far slower pace than you know our, our evolution as a society. So that nervous system is still wired for primitive times. It still perceives in the environment threats as if they're saber-toothed tigers lurking in the tall grasses of our, of, of our ancestors. And we don't need that nervous system to function that way. It's causing a tremendous amount of stress in our bodies. You know, two-thirds of people in this country have some underlying health condition related to stress. Not only does it affect our health, but it affects how we relate to each other. And it causes, uh, it wreaks havoc on society that we are so wired with fear in the way that we operate in and relate to each other. And it, it drives all sorts of decisions from how do we deal with conflict in the world? You know, what's happening in Ukraine? That a lot of that, those responses that we have, what's happening in the, the conflict there is an example. Crime rates have gone way up. A lot of the isolation has heightened our, our primitive wiring. So people are much more um, agitated, irritated, anxious, irritable, you know, withdrawn, a lot of social yeah. anxiety right now. So that those are all symptoms of a nervous system that isn't regulated. Yeah. And we have to essentially upgrade that system, that internal nervous system to recognize that all human beings are social creatures. We need a connection with each other. And when we feel this heightened threat, we perceive other people to be a threat to us when in fact it's a paper tiger. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and that's so, I mean, that's so clear. You're walking around as, as you said, especially now, um, yeah. Yeah, I think is, is visible it's much more visible for me now. I've done a bunch of work on this stuff to yes. see in others, you know, where, where they are and in, in, in the fear state, as you describe. Yes, it's, mm -hmm. it's really prevalent. And, yes. and, and picking up on, on this period in your 20s, so you're getting into somatic. So it's, it's maybe worth touching on for those who are not familiar with that word. You know, what do we mm -hmm. mean by somatics? Uh, yeah. And then and what it was that you, you know, you first started to do, right, to, to make it to illustrate it for people, mm -hmm. you know, what, what that actually looks like. Yeah. So, um, yeah, somatics is the Greek word for soma, the body. Uh, and so, you know, our industry, the, the field of, of therapy has really evolved over the last 40 years. It's moved out from recognizing, you know, the cognitive piece, which is still important, and realizing that there's a whole body here that is largely not valued in modern in the modern world. We we really kind of cut ourselves off here. We're we're rewarded uh, with our thoughts and our our actions, right? We're rewarded there, but we don't really have a connection to our bodies as much as we should. And I started just practicing mindfulness. You know, in my my twenties, I I wasn't um, I didn't have like a rigid practice, but I certainly uh, recognized that slowing down and paying attention to how I'm showing up in my body was really important. I went to a, um, a training in, in my, my late 20s around leadership and 
how uh, how leaders need to show up as embodied leaders, you know, a whole embodied regulated self. And it was in that moment, uh, this was actually, it was happened right after I lost my kids. I went to that training and the, as I was doing some of the somatic practices with the, with the group, there was a moment where I realized I have not been paying attention to my instincts. I'm not listening to myself. I'm not realizing that there's wisdom down here in my gut that has has really been lost. I have not been connected to that. And that was the moment when I realized somatic is the answer. This is this intuition that I had all along got affirmed in that moment when I realized I there's a whole part of me that I've completely been disconnected from for a very long time. I'm just surviving. And life is not about just surviving. It's about thriving. It's about enjoying our lives. We are here to enjoy our lives, not suffer. But a lot of times we have to move through the suffering to get to the other side, as as I've done. And then many of my clients have done. Right. Right. And I, and I suppose when people hear the word mindfulness, they think, well, hang on, isn't that about being in the mind? It's not bodyfulness. So is it a form of mindfulness? That you're talking there about. There is a form of yes, thank you, Richard. Yeah, there's a form of mindfulness um, that I talk about. It's like the most essential thing in the book, which is called interoception. Right. Interoception is the connection between your mind and the body. This is the type of mindfulness where we give the mind a respite, we quiet the mind, and attune to what's happening in the body. And we do that by connecting what we call the medial prefrontal cortex, which is here in the front part of your brain. This is the observing part of your brain. And we connect that medial prefrontal cortex to the nervous system down in the body. And there's a practice in the book, well, several practices in the book about how to connect to your body, how to bring your attention down into the body and quiet the mind. And that is what gives people extraordinary release of activation or stress is letting go of our thoughts completely. We're not observing thoughts. We are actually letting them go. We are quieting the mind. That is interoception. Right. And people, we do that in the, the book, what teach that practice of interoception. And what happens in the body is things settle. The nervous system settles. It brings more spaciousness, more grounding, more safety to the nervous system. And that then sends a message to your amygdala, your primitive brain, that you're safe. We have to go through that first stage. That's the first gateway to settle. Right. We can't just tell ourselves we're safe with our mind. Yeah. No, I wish we could. That would be so nice. Um, But that practice is what we call bottoms up intervention and interoception bottoms up. We settle the nervous system first. It sends the signal to our amygdala, the primitive brain. Hey, you know, Richard, you're safe. You don't have to have a reaction to this situation. And then that quiets that primitive brain and opens up the gateway to your higher order thinking. Those two have to be in lockstep. So either you're in this genuinely, we want the autonomic nervous system to respond, to react for us when we're in a real threat. We want it to either go into fight, flight, or freeze, right? We need that system to do that. But in most cases, people in the world are safe. 
And yet that system is still reacting that way. That's the front, that's the gateway, right? So once that gets settled, then we have a spacious thinking, we have creativity, we have innovation available to us again. And have you ever been in a situation where you thought to yourself, ah, in the moment, I really wanted to say that, but I yeah. couldn't. I just couldn't find the words until later. Well, you couldn't because that system has locked your access to that part of your brain, that the language center where you could, in the moment, address conflict or, or address a stressful or tense interaction with somebody. But we just we don't have access to that until we have a regulated nervous system and you have access to the healthy kinds of ways that you deal with conflict, like healthy anger, working with anger, like advocating for myself or advocating for other people or trusting my instincts. These are examples of healthy anger that in those moments you'll have access to when your system is regulated. Right, right. Yeah. And, and it sounds like for you, the first, first step in this after the, the death of your children was to start to to focus on this embodied mindfulness, to focus on introspection, yes. yeah, and yeah, and it, and and did you and how? Yes, how did that help you in processing the the event with your children? Oh, so about I held on to that grief for a decade. Right. You know, when you lose your kids, especially when it's the woman who you know, when it's it's you that actually those lives pass through you. At the end of that, you know, you can't help but blame yourself for it. I felt a lot of shame. I held on to shame for an entire decade. And I went to see, I see my own therapist. I think every therapist should have a therapist. And I went to my therapist and we did a really deep um, session on this topic. And she, she had me call forward the memory of that weekend when I lost them. I was completely in freeze for the three days before they passed. My body just shut down. And I, I talk about the reasons why that happened in the book. But what's important is that she uh, helped me get in touch with a conversation I had with them in those three days leading up to them passing. I went in deep into my unconscious and, and went back to that memory of that weekend. And what I realized I had said to them was, you don't need to stay. If you feel like this isn't a safe place for you, I will hold the grief and let you and let you go. That's how much I love you, too. And there is nothing like a mother's love of their of our children. And so I let them go. I let my body, I gave my body permission to let them go. And uh, I didn't know that for 10 years. I didn't know that that conversation happened. So I held on to this deep shame about losing them. That wasn't mine. That wasn't, I didn't need to feel ashamed of that. It was the deepest kind of love that you can have for your children to be able to courageously say, I'll hold on to that grief and let you go. As there's just nothing more powerful and life-changing than to have gone through that and have experienced the bookends of life in one day. You bring a life into the world and then you leave, then they leave you. And it's those 
that thin veil between these these two worlds came so close to me in that moment that it it just shifted everything from it was changed my life in really positive ways but i did go through my grief i mean it was it was a hard hard journey to move through all that really hard right um and 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 part of it was going back to that weekend going back to the event Um, all of it was about going back to that weekend honestly yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was my fault. I'm, I killed my children. It was me that did that. That's yeah. what I held on to. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that's that's concordant with my experience. All of my release work of my own trauma has required me to go back, like mm-hmm. go within to go yeah. without. You, it's this counterintuitive, yeah, seemingly counterintuitive, given modern culture, which tells you to keep the past in the past, just look forward. Yeah. Seemingly, seemingly counterintuitive. Um, yeah, uh, but I, you know, you pay for it if you backwards. don't. Yeah, yeah, you pay for it where you can. Not hundred percent true all the time, but in a lot of cases, my case especially. But there are a lot of examples of that. There are far less um, dramatic than my story. Yeah, you know, of people just not processing their emotions, and then they get sick, or they're shut down, or they experience a ton of burnout. They can't function. Depression, anxiety, all, all those things that are stress on the system um you know you you can cause a lot of health challenges you know shorten your your lifespan if those emotions aren't processed properly yeah and Mm -hmm. and for me the gift of what you're saying is we we can reverse this we can go back and we can heal and we can get to a place yes where it's resolved and it doesn't have the hold on us anymore that's right that's right. And, yeah. and really, the answer is the body, the nervous system, and working with those paper tigers, you know, that underneath all of, you know, grief and shame and anger and, and all of these emotions is fear. I'm afraid right. to feel. I'm afraid mm. that if I feel too much, I might die. You know, that is a big part of grief is that falling into the abyss and not knowing what to do about that. Fear, yeah. you know, it, it really, it drives just about everything until it's, until we, until we reverse this, until we upgrade the nervous system to recognize and just make the distinctions between paper tigers and real threat. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then in this, in this journey, where did, where does the cancers, when, when did they start to emerge? Yeah. So they emerged after the loss of my kids. Okay. And in fact, it was one, <laughs> one day, um, it was about, let's see, and about t- five years after I lost my kids, I got a phone call. I was at the end of the year. And for a lot of people, you know, when, at the end of the year, you want to get all you know, your insurance, get all your doctor's appointments in. So I like, I, I scheduled all of these doctor's appointments. I was perfectly healthy at the time, I thought. And, uh, and I got three phone calls on the same day. It'll be November of this year, 10 years ago. So 2012, 10 years ago this year in, in November, um, that I got three phone calls on the same day diagnosing me with three primary cancers. And all of them had a connection back to either the loss of my father 
or the loss of my my kids. They uh, were uh, to me uh, clear examples of unprocessed grief in my body, and the only way that my body could do it could to, could address the grief at that point was to have those cancers excised. Those places where grief was held had to be excised from me. So I went through multiple surgeries and I don't talk about the types of cancer because that can be really triggering for people. Um, so I, I don't reveal that part, but what I do say is that these were, these cancers were in the places where I was holding grief um, about my kids and about my dad. And, um, you know, it was, it was incredibly traumatizing to get those calls as you can imagine. Yeah. 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 But I leaned on my support system and I, that I doubled down on my relationship with my infinite source and really relied heavily on my support system. Right. And it, it got me through all of that. Yeah. And how yeah. were you building that link between the cancer and, and those earlier events? If you've got, um, you said that you could relate all of them back, right? Yeah. To either the mm -hmm. loss of your father or the loss of yeah. your children. So I'm just curious about like, how do you make those connections? Like, yeah. How did you well, come to that so conclusion? They were, my dad died of one of the cancers I got. So that's one. And then the two, the other two right. are in the places where reproduction happens. Okay. So, yeah. So it was obvious. It was like that clearly is a connection back to these two. I mean, I didn't, at the time I wasn't thinking about that. The day I got the phone calls, I was dealing, I was in, you know, trying to triage a crisis. So it was a few years later that I began to reflect on what happened and realized that's the connection. You know, all of that sort of happened, um, you know, right around the middle of this, this decade, right about then was, was when yeah. I started right around 20, 2015, when I realized in a couple of years, you know, following the treatments and had time to sort of look back and realize how much there were clear connections between those experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. And did that then allow you to do also some grieving? Like, yes. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, that I, once I realized that what I had been doing is just repressing the grief, I just let it out. I mean, I let it out in the moment when I lost my kids. I had, I was howling that day in the delivery room, but I got, I got this message that day that said, you know, you'll have time to grieve later. It was just like this internal voice that said, you'll do that later. Be present. You only have them for a few hours study every little inch of their body. So there was, there was that moment, but it, I had not processed the grief, clearly had not. And it, it took a few years for me to recognize that, you know, there was a lot of freeze there still. And, yeah. uh, but yeah, I've, I have, and I still give myself permission to do that whenever I need to, I just let myself process whatever is there. And, um, and I, I think that any of these somatic practices that I share in the book help you do that because you can think a feeling, you can think an emotion, but that's very, very, very different from actually feeling the sensation of the emotion that's in your yeah. body. Yeah. And if you're disconnected 
from your body. You're not feeling your feelings, not the good ones and not the ones that aren't so good. You know, we put labels on emotions, but it's, it really is just energy in the body that needs to be expressed. Yeah, yeah. We, we get afraid of some of them and it really, there's, there really isn't any reason to, for the system to react to any emotion but a fear. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah. well, that resonates with my journey. A big part of it is learning to feel just to, and surrendering to them and, and letting yourself yes. have it, even if that means you're yes. best on the floor for however long it, that's yeah. just allowing. That's that. right. I think we, you know, in our, in our society, if you can imagine like our society is in a boat, you know, in a big ocean and at the top layers of the ocean are all the, the muck the muckiness of life, you know, all the feelings that we don't want to feel, shame and fear and anger, you know, those things. Most people say, I don't want to dip my toes in that water. I'm going to look at that stuff. I don't want to feel shame. Who wants to feel shame? I'm going to stay in the boat. I'm going to stay in the boat. And it takes courage to, to jump in the water. It takes courage to really feel the the upper layers of that ocean, the murkiness and the, the muddiness and the ugliness of yourself, the shame and the anger, the grief, all that. Nobody wants to feel that, but you have to go through that. You have to jump in because when you jump in and you, you give yourself access to those ugly sides of yourself or the feelings that are hard to process beneath those layers of that, that ocean, is r real love. It's that the soul level, that love that is accessible to all of us. But you have to go through those emotions first, and then you can go deeper and deeper inside yourself and recognize that all of us are connected. All of us have those feelings. We have to move through those feelings and jump into the water so that you can access that first. And then deepen your connection to love when i say love i mean love for everybody because we are all connected if we learn nothing from this pandemic is that we are a global system we are a collective you we are a collective one you know what happens on the other side of the world is going to affect you so we have to hold each other with tremendous love and compassion. And that is what I, what I'm hoping will become part of what people learn from this experience of, of the pandemic is the, the greatest place to, to heal the, the most powerful way to heal yourself is to love people, to love all of us, because we are all connected. We're all part of one single organism. It isn't, you and me, it's not us versus them. It's all of us in this together trying to problem solve life. Yeah. And that you can't, you can't get there unless you move through those feelings. You got to move through all of that. But the right. upper layers of that ocean. Yeah. And, and, and that's interesting because you said you had some of that, that sense earlier on in your life before mm. you did any yeah. of this work. So I'm just interested, yeah. how did your relationship with source or spirituality or however you want to describe it change as you started to get into the somatics mm. well that that I, what i realized was that that the soul resides in the body ah. 
And I can feel that. Like I, I, I've asked other people if they feel that. Some people do and some people don't. But it's right here. The soul resides in the body. And there is a, a bundle of nerves called the vagus nerve that we also call the soul nerve. It is what connects the body and the mind. It's what gives you access to those emotions and the feelings and your experiences with not just yourself, other people, and whatever the source is out there that created all of this. Right. Science and the spirituality, I truly believe that these two are intrinsically linked. They're, they don't have to be separate. They are... I, I'm 100% a believer in science. I mean, all of this is about science. We're working with the anatomy of the human, our human wiring. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and the reason I suppose I asked that question is because I was very much and have been most, an atheist for most of my life. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of checked out of God in primary school. Yeah. But then through doing this work, I found myself much more open to connection to, yeah. uh, to something bigger. And yet it's also interesting that there are people who do this deep work and remain atheists, right? So I, yeah. I, I, I think it's interesting, but uh, you know, what you're describing resonates with me, like, uh, and I certainly are feeling this, this greater connection with something out there and yeah. yes, I'm feeling it in the, in the body. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm all for atheism too. I don't have any aversion to that. I don't, again, I do not proselytize. I, I think if you, if you believe in science, that's great because I believe in it too. I believe in how the universe works. And all I'm saying is like scientifically, they, we know that we are microcosms of the universe. We are stardust. This is everything in here gets recycled into the universe somehow. We don't have the answers. Why? I don't know why. I'm not, not affirming that this is a fact, you know, but this is just my intuition that tells me there's something more, there's something more out there than what we experience here on earth. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah. And, and the shift for you is being starting to feel that, uh, yeah. In the sense yeah, through the, the vagus nerve. Is, is, That's right. Is that how you'd say? Yeah. 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 That's a um, big part of how our nervous systems function, the vagus nerve. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, actually, Rebecca, I'm getting some, some sound on the line here is yes, that it's my cat it's your cat oh i was wondering if it's we were making interference interference yeah right she's scratching on the door behind me i can let her in this is maybe you let her in let's see the cat good entertainment for people yeah does she look anything like the tiger <laughs> uh no she no. doesn't come in <laughs> hello cat <laughs> hello rosie come on in you're making a whole lot of noise She'll right. she'll stop scratching now. <laughs> <laughs> so on on the topic of the vagus nerve, then is that something that you ended up focusing on? And are there like specific techniques for, for yeah. touching into that? Um, yeah, maybe you could. Yeah, yeah, which is is also in the book. Yeah, uh, one of the, the the key practices working with the vagus nerve is uh, what Peter Levine calls the Vu breathing method. The Vu breathing method. So breathing. the vagus nerve, yeah. And so you you make this boo sound on the out breath. Sounds sort of like a foghorn. You know, you're calling okay. ships in from the sea, and um, and we. <laughs> now she was <laughs> the other direction. God, hold on. 
Rosie. We have to give animals options. Right. <laughs> um, so the vagus nerve is the network. It is, it's a bundle of nerves. It's the largest bundle of nerves in the body, the, the 10th cranial nerve. And it is, it connects to all of your critical organs up here from your eyes, your nose, the face and neck muscles. It uh, assists in vocalization. It um, is connected to the brainstem, which is the primary communicator between all of the social system up here. And then wanders its way down. That's Vegas is the Latin for wandering. Yeah. It wanders its way down into the lungs and the heart and all of your critical organs, all of your major critical organs. And so it's, it's really central to how we function, how the body functions. It's a network of nerves that communicates back to your primitive brain uh, if I'm safe or not. The one thing it is not connected to that would be really nice is your higher order thinking brain, your prefrontal cortex which is why you have to work with that vagus nerve ah. to settle the nervous system so that the communication from the nervous system to that brainstem to the amygdala is getting the appropriate signal. So, so I, that, that, that is- we can't tell ourselves that we're safe, right? Yeah. You cannot tell yourself you're safe without regulating your, your yeah. nervous system first. And, and actually, once that happens, once you've practiced that boo breathing method, it's not something- you can just practice once. You have to repeat practices. So with the practice, you the repetition at 300 reps of, a, of any practice puts it into muscle memory. And if you repeat that practice 3,000 times, it's embodied. It's in your, your new way of being, your whole nervous system, your, in every cellular structure that is you after That's, you practice it that or, long. Or voo. <laughs> voo, right. <laughs> um, and once that happens, once you've got that clarity, once the system is connected, that VU breathing is that bottoms up intervention, you'll have access to your language center. So I always tell people to do three to four VU breaths every day, make that sort of a regular practice in your life. And at the end, at the, at the third or fourth out breath, you have access to your language center now. So you can seal the relationship between mind and body by sending a message back down to the body. And what I tell people to do is repeat, I am safe. 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 At whisper level volume and on that long out breath, just keep repeating that. It's one of the most powerful practices of interoception to do the boo breathing method and then seal that relationship back down using language. And mantras are a big, big part of what I talk about in the book too. I yeah, am at the end of lots of the chapters. You yeah, have, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, yeah, and I suppose what's really making sense to me now, and in, in a new way, just from what you've mm. just shared, is how so many of the, well, certainly the Eastern spiritual practices involve the body, and that makes a lot more sense now, right? Because mm, there's certain um, states of mind we can't achieve without engaging mm -hmm. the body that's right and it's so interesting right. that that's just sort of missing in the way you know both of us have brought up been brought up in western traditions and yes uh, i guess whether it's a synagogue or a church you're just kind of sat there right and you're it's, it's so much of it is the mind yeah right that's engaging right the mind yeah mm -hmm. yeah and this 
the mind can take you anywhere. It usually isn't present. Mm. It's usually <laughs> taking you to the future or the past. Right. And the only thing that is always here in you, always present, always connected and neutral, and non-judgmental is your body. Your body doesn't judge you. It loves you. You know, we don't recognize that there is a relationship between this, the, the mind and the body. Right. And um, really appreciating that is, is, and valuing it and prioritizing it in life. Just it, it improves your quality of life exponentially. Boosts your yeah. immune system to do the boo breathing. It's, uh, it, it resets where energy or where effort is coming from that boo breathing, because when you, your system is under threat or perceives a threat, all of that focus is being channeled to that threat. All of your organs are channeling their focus to protect you from a false threat, from a paper tiger. That boo breathing resets that, sends a message that, no, there, we don't need to do that. Let's get back to operating the way we're intended to operate, focus on the things that each of those organs are intended to do. Right. So that right. is one of the most powerful practices to, to do in the book. I highly recommend that that one. And I also say don't take on too many practices. You know, just one, maybe two at the most. And, and before you move on to something else, um, you know, you, that's to me having one simple ritual that you do every day is way more powerful than loading yourself up with all kinds of things. It just you can't get good at everything all at once yeah, so you, you gotta devote to yourself right devote yourself to one thing and i'm laughing because i've definitely been at that but I, I gotta do this i gotta do this i've gotta be this supplement this yoga and this meditation oh yeah 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 uh, yeah i understand I, I i was that way myself at one point you know all the stuff that people struggle with i i've been there i and there are still times when i struggle it's not I, I'm not above it at all. I am imperfect, just like everybody else. But um, but I have gone through some pretty extraordinary uh, experiences in life, and it has given me uh, just more courage and more resilience. And and I I really want to help people get there. And what what I call my original blueprint, which is the the purest form of the human experience of the soul. The original blueprint. We all come into the world with something that's pure, you know, as, as babies, we're pretty pure, that original blueprint. But I, I, I believe that, you know, life brings you, pulls you away from that intentionally. We have to go through the life's ups and downs. And, but there's something in a lot of people, this knowing that I'm not the person that I thought I was going to be, or this feeling inside that tells me there's something else. There's something about me that isn't, haven't, I haven't fully connected with yet. That's the original bl blueprint I talk about in the book is how to reconnect back to that. And, um, but you have to go through all that muck at the upper layers of that ocean first. To find that in. part of yourself again. Yeah, jump in. Nothing to be afraid of. You can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and we, and of course, we, there's, a, there's met many, specific techniques that you share in the book and we've, we've talked about mm -hmm. the breathing breathing is there anything else that you perhaps might want to share particularly in, especially in terms of getting back to that original blueprint 
Well, I think the most important thing that people um, should should know is that getting back there is not easy and it's not a linear journey. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to take detours that life is not a, a clear, you know, straight line. Right. So, you know, you, you just keep working at it. You have to be really devoted to your own personal healing and growth. Um, and so this isn't something that you just pick up my book and all of a sudden I'm, I'm done. I'm healed. It's going to take you quite a ways through that, but you have to keep working at it. You have to take at least one of the practices and really devote yourself to it. Really make that part of your daily practice. Um, to, to get to reconnect with that part of yourself you've lost. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing for people to know is, you know, this is a lifelong journey. It's not, it's it started a long time ago. Everybody, when we were born into this world, we started our journey and we just want to keep getting better and refining ourselves and uh, growing and healing and connecting with people. And I think that just, to me, that's the, the my main reason why we're here is to is to heal ourselves, is to grow, and is to connect with other people, to love people. Mm. We really have lost that part of our our uh, genuine selves because we think that that's you know loving somebody I don't even know uh, is weird. Like who would ever do that? But yeah, love means I, romantic love or maybe familial yeah. love. But yeah, no, this is like the like pure just love i love you i love you and i love you, uh, I love you. yeah cuz you're me and i'm you right we are all connected yeah we don't have to know each other at this level yeah. we are all connected at the the soul level or the spiritual level or for folks who don't believe in that and you look at it through this stardust the universe we we are all connected we're all one living breathing organism and so we really need to recognize that and and not be afraid to love yeah yeah and that's the right framing of it because it is fear and then when i talk about myself it is my fear of opening myself up to that love of of all that is it's it's fear. It's the only thing between me and that that full connection. Yeah, and it and it makes sense that we're afraid of that because we're animals like all other animals. But we've lost our innate ability to recognize the distinction between that animal part of ourselves and our higher, more more sophisticated selves. You know, all animals are afraid to be vulnerable, and there's a good reason for that. Because if you're out in the wild as a tiger or a lion and you're injured, you have to hide that injury, right? In order to survive. We don't have physical injuries. We have emotional injuries. And that's what keeps us isolated and disconnected from each other. We're afraid to be vulnerable. We're, but the, the truth is that's the paper tiger. We don't, we don't have to worry. We will bounce back. If, if you experience heartbreak or hurt or feeling rejected because you were vulnerable and you took a chance and you got rejected, you're not going to die. You're going to recover. You will bounce back. That's part of being courageous. Vulnerability takes tremendous courage to put yourself out there and to say, 
to another stranger, I love you. Yeah. 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 And I, I you're right. And I, I'm just, just reflecting on the inside, just had as you shared there, that, that animalistic desire to hide the injury. Yeah. That's a, probably like a, a pattern that comes from, as you say, a need to uh, hide a physical industry, industry, a physical injury uh, yes. that we've now adopted uh, for hiding emotional wounds. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I know. But like my, one of my, my favorite uh, people, Renee Brown, talks a lot about vulnerability. Yeah. And I'm adding this piece for people to understand why. Why is it that we are so afraid of being vulnerable? That's the root of it, is the emotional injury that stems back to the physical injury. Anybody who has a dog or has ever been you know, out in the wild knows that animals hide their injuries. They don't tell you that they're injured. And that's why, yeah. because they, they don't, they're afraid of being dinner. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It makes so much sense. And I'd always framed it and rest, thought about it as in terms of a, a societal norm, a cultural norm, you know, boys don't cry, but of course women yes. hide their emotional, you know, vulnerabilities as well. It's not like women are Absolutely. always out there with all of those, you know, injuries. So it's, uh, it's more, it's deeper than that. It's in, yeah, it's, it's what you're articulating here. Yeah. I mean, that, I'm really glad you shared, you mentioned that idiom, boys don't cry. Boy, is that destructive to men. Mm. Oh, mm. so destructive. And, you know, the, the women, you know, the socialization or the conditioning we have is to smile all the time. Right. When we're not, ha when we're not genuinely okay. smiling. Yeah. Mm. Right. So, you know, when I, I talk to my, uh, my women clients about that for, for women that have that really heavy conditioning behind every fake smile is a growl. And I have them practice that I'll have them smile fake and then show their teeth. And it, it creates the somatic opening. Oh, when something feels different beneath that is my anger that I'm masking. And mm -hmm. that just helps open up the the part of ourselves that nervous system the vagus nerve to recognize that it's, it's energy that just needs to process that anger that repressed anger yeah and boys need places to be vulnerable we need to encourage that because it it really is detrimental to our society that that boys don't have that aren't given permission to have emotion to have the full range yeah. We all need that. We need full range and full access to all of them. Yeah, yeah. It's um, we we need we need it, and I think this way of understanding it, not just as a yeah, as I said, as as a cultural issue, but something that's that's mm -hmm. physical, and so that it just gives us yes. a deeper understanding of why it exists. Um, yeah, and always when we talk about this, the image that comes to mind is a is a front page of a newspaper here in the UK when our um um. One of our our tennis tennis players. Oh, his his name just just slipped. Anyway, one of our champion tennis players here in the UK lost at Wimbledon and cried. And the front page was "New Balls, Please." Right? And I mean, ah, it's a funny headline, but it just it, it, it exactly symbolizes uh, you know what yes. we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, this. 
Um, and I hadn't Tragic. appreciated that, yeah, the, for, for women, that's, yeah, you're right. That, that's the, be, you know, look pretty, smile, right? Whatever yes. the situation. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, speaking of sports figures, Serena Williams in, a, in a, um, an interview, a press briefing after a tournament, uh, one of the uh, reporters asked her, why aren't you smiling? And she said, do you ask the male athletes that question? Mm-hmm. I'm not smiling because I'm not, they're, they're, I don't enjoy doing these press briefings. So I'm here to answer your question. What's the next one? <laughs> <laughs> you know, she just didn't, uh, you know, causes a lot of anxiety for, for people when women don't smile. Yeah. It, cre- it's, it stimulates that part of ourselves that like distress. What's going on? What's the problem? What's wrong? Because yeah. it's outside of our social norms. Yeah. 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 Mm. And, um, and I think the paradox just for me in my journey is that I've become so much more grounded in my masculinity and my mm. manliness through crying, mm. right? Through, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like at being vulnerable, allowing myself to cry all the way if you like, by developing my feminine side, I've become much more masculine. And, uh, and I think what we're saying is the same is the converse for women, right? They, they can, but by, you know, I don't know, but that would seem possible. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we hold, we all have both. We have the masculine and the feminine in us and they can be both really healthy and also toxic. There's toxic masculinity, toxic femininity but there's the healthy versions where we can access both and the doing in life is the masculine. The being in life is the feminine. We have both. There's a lot of emphasis on the doing. We get reward. We're rewarded for the doing. Not so much about the being. We need more balance between the two. Yeah. 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 And that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, this feels like we've had a really, you know, great conversation. Is there, is there anything that, you know, you'd have liked to have touched on that we haven't explored yet? Um, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'll be out on the, 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 the circuit of uh, offering seminars in person uh, later this year. And so if, if uh, folks are interested in, in coming, they'll be able to see me. And I hope, hope to come over at, to your, on the other side of the pond. Oh, soon. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll try yeah, and catch you if you are. Please, yeah, yeah it's great. Yeah. It's really a pleasure to meet you. I and really you. enjoyed this. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Really enjoying it. And uh and feel touched. And it's interesting. I think this must be part of because you're so connected. I'm feeling like connected. I feel like more present physically than I would ordinarily on these conversations. And I'm guessing that's something about what you're resonating. Oh yeah. Well, this is what I do. I'm, this is all about co-regulation. Right. You know, when we are, when I'm grounded, your system responds to that. And the opposite is true too. So when we're out in society, all the co-dysregulation is at the root of our fears. We, our nervous systems are constantly paying off of each other. So how I show up affects you and vice versa. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a, a big part of the work is to help people settle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just reflecting on with one of my sons. I've got two, twin boys and they're, they're five. And one of them, um, 
we might say is less regulated than the other, let's say, and, and or becomes dysregulated much more easily. And yeah, when, when it's just me and him and he's like mm-hmm. full tilt, angry about something, that's when it's the hardest for me to stay regulated. Oh, yeah. uh, right. And, yeah. and this again is giving me a new perspective on that. It's not just like me getting triggered, mm-hmm. et cetera, because of course that's part of it, but it's also just the fact yeah. I'm now in a system where one part of that system is, is highly dysregulated. Ah, so does he get super um, high energy charged and angry and tantrum and all of Yeah. So you might think about, um, so what happens is that system is firing off a whole bunch of energy at you and you're probably trying to ground him by staying calm. Yeah. That doesn't work. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Let me tell you what, what works is he's trying to, he wants you to meet his energy. See me engage hear me all right so what you want to do is meet that energy and that's what's going to help him settle try that uh, but how do i do that do i start screaming and thumping the floor as well well you don't have to scream but you can raise the volume of your voice okay. get animated you know okay i'm giving you back some feedback here i'm i hear you that that ah. and then it's like ah oh, okay you see me you hear me that's what Everybody wants that, right? Like we, we all mm. just want to be seen. And I think that's his way of trying to engage you is, yeah. come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I'll try it. Try it. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, all right. Thank you. Um, yeah, this has been awesome. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, can't wait. You're welcome. Wait. Uh, yes, and uh, when this goes live for people, the the book will be out there. Let's let's uh, share it again. I've got I've got the the print out version here. Um, yeah, fabulous. The paper tiger syndrome: How to liberate yourself from the illusion of fear. Well, uh, Rebecca, thanks again. It's been a pleasure. Right. Yeah. All right. And you sending enjoy love. the rest. Sending love. <laughs> sending love. <laughs> okay. All right. See you. Bye bye. Bye. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.